A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Would you allow fracking in your back garden in Somerset? Yes, of course I would. I'd be delighted. And should all these people here think it's okay to allow fracking in their back garden? Yes, of course they should. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Associate Editor of The Telegraph, and welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast, live from the Conservative Party Conference! <laughs> well, what a manic Monday, hey, people. We woke up to the news today that the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, has reinstated... The 45p tax rate, eight days after he axed it. It's the biggest single about term by a Tory government since Theresa May dropped her dementia tax proposal four days after unveiling it in the 2017 general election manifesto. And we all know what happened to her, don't we? So my guest today has the unenviable job of being the first cabinet minister I've had a chance to ask questions about it. He recently became Business and Energy and Industrial Strategy Secretary, something, something which caused some ripples in some corners of the press who called him a climate dinosaur. Before that, he was, of course, the Minister for Brexit Opportunities and formerly a leader of the House of Commons. Jacob Rees-Mogg, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thank Jacob, you. it's great to have you here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Can I just ask you about your lanyard before we go any further? Yes. Is it, is it silver? No, no, it's not. It, this is what central office used to send them out with, and it's the one thing I've copied from Michael Heseltine. He always wore his lanyard like this, and I have to say I think it's a better way to wear one's lanyard. What's wrong with, it, with, it, with an, uh, something around your neck? Could be a noose. You don't, want, don't know. Um, you don't want things around your neck. You want to wear it like this. And um, Michael Hasseltine did it, so I Hands up who agrees with Jacob's lanyard policy? Nobody. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg is the Tory... Oh, there's a gentleman there. Thank you, sir. Very wise gentleman. Jacob Rees-Mogg, is the Tory party a tax-cutting party? Yes. But it's not, is it? Not as of today. It's, it's reversing tax cuts. No. Um, it's cut taxes for the whole country. So business taxes won't go up. They will remain at 19%. That's a really big signal of the fact that the country is open for investment, is aiming to be globally competitive. The national insurance um, increase that was hitting both individuals and businesses has been scrapped. And there's been a cut by 1p in the pound of the basic rate of income tax. This is a tax-cutting government. Uh, One tax cut, of all of these, the smallest in terms of the amount of money to the Exchequer is not being followed through on. Uh, you know, th- this has been 
um, uh, sound and fury that signifies nothing. Not really, is it? I mean, wh- wh- why, why, are they, why has the Kwasi Kwarteng dropped this abolition of the 45p rate? Because it was a political reality that sometimes things you want to do um, don't receive the approbation of the nation that you would hope for. And there's no point in sticking with them stubbornly if there simply isn't the desire, the appetite to do them. We live in a democracy, and politicians have to be responsive to the democratic will. But the tax-cutting agenda is there to make us a growth economy once again, to get away from the stagnation that we have had, to try and get improvements in productivity, because the only way to pay for uh, the consequences of COVID, to pay for the subvention we're providing for energy bills, is to grow the economy. And if we don't do that, uh, we will then be in a permanent stagnation. And that requires tax cuts that have been announced. When, when did you find out about the original decision to axe the 45p rate? Uh, when the Chancellor announced it in the Chamber of the House of Commons. Not in, not in the Cabinet, but you're a Cabinet Minister. No, but this is perfectly normal. That the, the Chancellor has authority to make tax announcements, that the right round rules, the collective responsibility agreement, collective agreement that you get for other policies, doesn't apply to budgets for very good reasons, because a lot of what's done is market sensitive. And dare I say some people leak... I know it's shocking, isn't it? You're all poor. Well, he's always trying to get people to leak. That's why he rings me up. I think he's ringing me up because he wants to chat. What do you think? But actually, he wants me to leak. What did which you I think? Don't what, do. what did you think when you heard about when you were heard it, like I did in the House of Commons that, that morning? What did you think? No, I am always in favour of tax cuts, always and everywhere. But did you imagine it had been protested or somehow? prepared the ground. I mean, it was a complete surprise to us all, wasn't it? Well, we knew that the Prime Minister is in favour of uh, a low-tax economy. Uh, let's just ask the audience. I assume people here are in favour of a low-tax economy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You see, they, mu- they much prefer a low-tax economy to a lanyard on your um, watch-chain economy. And how many here would support the 45p tax rate cut? I think we're surrounded by socialists. <laughs> <laughs> So there is some support. You said, I mean, you said there's no support. When did, you, when did you find out about the Chancellor reversing that decision? This morning. On the, on the telly? Uh, no, I got a message from a um, fellow Cabinet member. N- not from, who's that? From, uh, from, from the Deputy Prime Minister. And, we, and well, how do you respond? Great. Well, this is politics. The, the, like, it's we not all, we po- all know how politics work. When did it last happen in politics? When, when has a tax decision been reversed? Yes, eight days tax, after a budget. Tax decisions are often reversed. Uh, the, the, um, governments come up with ideas that when the reality hits, it turns out that the nation doesn't want. So you can take the pat, pasty tax, which was reversed because it simply wasn't going to work. We then went on to win the next general election. That There has to be a re- flexibility, a responsiveness to public opinion. If politicians don't respond, they're accused of being stubborn and not listening and ideological. If they do listen, they're accused of doing a handbrake turn. Neither of these is true, that you have to work out what is essential. What do we really need to do to get the economy moving? And that's a fundamental change in the tax system, part of which was announced Um, the Friday before last in relation to national insurance to make the tax on jobs lower and corporation tax crucially to show that we're open for business. There's more that we need to do and that's the supply side reforms that will be coming and the medium term uh, fiscal strategy which the Chancellor will announce. This is all part of an overarching strategy to have a strongly growing economy so that our debt to GDP declines and that our public spending as a percentage of GDP declines even while we are spending more on public services. This is what the government wants to achieve. It's the right thing to try to achieve. 
there was an absurd distraction on what was the smallest part of the tax changes, and the government needs to get on and focus on what uh, is fundamental to the package, uh, not the flotsam and jetsam. Should the Chancellor resign? Yeah, of course he shouldn't resign. I mean, again, constant demands for people who are doing an important and good job to resign because they've had to change their mind on one part of what they're doing. Who do you blame for it, the Chancellor or the Prime Minister or both? I don't blame anybody. These things happen. But you can't, what do you want? Do you want a government that never does anything, never takes any risk, just sits there like... Um, I'm about to be. I'm not going to say what they're sitting there like because it might be tactless. Um, well, very good. Yeah, this is the best heckler we've got. The quality of hecklers in the Telegraph is of the highest caliber. Top Tory, top hecklers. That's what we like. Um, uh, but we've got to act. We've got to get on with things. We've got to do. It was things. a step too far, was it? Basically. In the, in the dash for growth. Sometimes you do things that do not win public consent and therefore you can't, in the end, follow through on them. But that doesn't mean that the bulk of what you're doing must stop or that the bulk of what you're doing isn't right. But you have to be sensitive to the public mood, but you also have to be ambitious. To govern is to choose. But you therefore have to recognise that some choices will not be ones that you're able to deliver on. And therefore you have to rethink. But this is... The alternative is complete inertia. We might just as well have an afternoon siesta and do nothing. And then we'd never make a mistake and we'd never have to do a U-turn and we'd lose the election but by you, miles. But you can avoid mistakes by preparing the ground, doing research, signalling something happening, announce it in March, it happens in April. There's an, there's an order of things which oh, means... Oh, heaven help Is that us. boring? No, it's not boring. It's just failure. The problem is, with any decision that you ever make... And whether this was in my career as an investment manager or as a politician, there is always the temptation to ask for one more report, one more expert opinion, one more verification that what you're going to do is right. And by the time you've come to making the decision, the time for making the decision has passed. And government is much too much about this and having another review, uh, another pretend consultation where you set the questions to get the answers that you want. It's all delay. We'll come on to fracking and later. And we've been doing that for years and years and years. And we need to get on with things. Um, Henry Kissinger has written about this in relation to foreign affairs and the need to make decisions in foreign affairs in the absence of perfect information. We do not have perfect information. We will never have it. And an umpteenth inquiry will not lead to perfect information. You therefore need to make decisions. But you need to recognize flexibility within your decision-making because sometimes you will do things that people will not swallow. So you have to change. But this is a much better way of governing than simply delaying the decision until you've had another 23rd, 24th, 25th report. The Im impact has been severe for the Tory party, hasn't it? Professor John, Sir John Curtis said last night there's been a seven-point swing in a week to Labour. That's the same that happened after Black Wednesday in a month. He said that um, the, part, the Labour's on, on course to win a three-figure landslide now. And, and the, the, it's gone from a 9% lead to 23% lead, lead based over nine polls in three days. Yes, but some people in this room may remember the opinion polls in 1981, which showed the SDP had over 50% in the opinion polls and was heading for an overall majority. Um, can anyone even remember what SDP stood for? <laughs> you, you, you know, th this is what happens uh, to governments that are making decisions. They sometimes get difficult poll ratings. That should not be a surprise. 
in um, the European elections in 2019, we got the worst result that the Tory party has had since the Glorious Revolution. Six months later, we won an election with a majority of 80. So don't worry. Some politicians say they pay no attention to opinion polls. This is usually not true. We're all obsessed by opinion polls, journalists and politicians alike. So all we talk about is the latest opinion poll. But you've got to have a sense of proportion. They are fascinating tidbits of information, but actually they are not what happens at a general election. Even sometimes the day before the general election, they turn out not to be what happens in the general election. The success rate of of forecasts two years before an election is not high. They're almost as good as financial forecasters. Does your government have a comms problem? No. They failed to communicate what the idea was behind the last week's two nine days ago budget? I've always thought that blaming comms when difficult decisions are made and unmade um, is a good replacement activity for realising and accepting that a mistake has been made and you've got to get on with it. Were hedge funds right to short the pound on the Monday? They're probably losing money if they shorted on Monday and they haven't closed their position today. That was a judgement, wasn't it, on the investability of the UK, wasn't it, that day? I think it's much more to do with um, the differential in interest rates between the um, uh, US and the UK which is pretty fundamental. People will buy the dollar if the lowest-risk currency and the lowest-risk economy uh, are higher than in any other economy. And you've seen the euro decline against the dollar, you've seen the pound decline against the dollar, you've seen emerging market currencies decline against the dollar. Why? Because the lowest-risk economy's lowest-risk debt is trading at a premium, or was trading at a premium in the short-term market, uh, to that of other countries. That means people invest in dollars. That, that's no surprise. I mean, that is the ABC of international uh, financial flows. Can, can I ask about the politics of this? Liz Truss is now polling at the same level that Boris Johnson was when he was thrown out by, by your party in June. Do you r- wish he hadn't gone? Um, well, I'm in the happy position of being Boris Johnson's greatest supporter, and I support Liz Truss because she... We're on a fantastic election campaign. She is a very committed conservative. She is doing exciting and important things. But, but Boris is a great man. I'm not going to say a word against him. I, I think he's terrific. Uh, he was a brilliant prime minister. He led us to a fantastic election. And I thought the Tory party had lost its senses in trying to get rid of him. But it did. And therefore we get on. And we've got somebody first class uh, in his place. Should he come back in the cabinet or a bigger role than that? Um, look... <laughs> Boris Johnson has an enormous amount to contribute to public life. I've got no doubt about that. He encapsulates conservative arguments more clearly and concisely than almost anybody else. He has a charisma that is unparalleled in British politics. It's a very, very rare uh, charisma for anyone to have. You don't lucky to have somebody with that charisma once a generation. But whether he wants to continue to be involved... Uh, in politics, I don't know. But do I think he's got a great deal to contribute? Absolutely. He is a fantastic standard bearer for conservatism. Have you been, have you been in touch with him since he quit number 10? Yeah, yeah, off and on. Yeah. How is he? You ask him yourself. You know, you've got his number. <laughs> wouldn't tell, he wouldn't tell me. You know, I'll, te- I'll, te- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a great story about Boris and his telephone number. It shows what a good man he is. Um, just before he became leader during the leadership election, I was having lunch with Conrad Black. Um, who used to own your newspaper. Uh, and Conrad said, would I mind giving him Boris's telephone number? And I don't give out people's number without their permission. So I texted Boris and said, um, do you mind if I give your number to 
to Conrad. And he replied immediately to say, as it was the mobile telephone that Conrad gave me as my first mobile, <laughs> the number hasn't changed. Yes, of course you can give it to him. <laughs> and I, t I just thought that showed something really good-spirited and yeah. decent uh, ab ab about Boris. This time yesterday, we had Michael Gove sitting here. Uh, what's he up who? to? Michael Gove, he used to be uh, your yeah, colleague. I, 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 he's the one who, oh uh, yeah, I've met yeah. him, yeah. <laughs> he, he's very clever, I think. He is clever. Yeah, he's very clever, very charming. What's he, what's he up to? I mean, what's going on? But this, this, this is like, isn't it Metternich's comment um, yes. uh, on, um, what's his name? So, Talleyrand's death. Talleyrand's death. What did he mean by that? I mean, you're always saying with Michael, what did he mean by that? And it's usually very interesting. <laughs> he's doing nine fringe meetings. He's got a team of special advisors. He's walking around now with a team of journalists, journalists photographing him. He reminds me of somebody from a few years ago. Is that Boris Johnson? He's only doing nine fringes. That's a bit hopeless. I mean, I, I used to um, uh, do 13 or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit wet, really, only doing nine. He's, the new, he's going to be this new thorn in the side of the government, isn't he? No. He's too polite to be a thorn. <laughs> he's too polite. He's a very elegant thorn if he is a thorn. Um, no, no, no. Uh, my Michael is a, one of the cleverest men in politics, a very amiable figure um, who loves the art of politics. He, he's the sort of Tory party's version of Peter Mandelson. Um, <laughs> a, a, and I, I've always rather thought Peter Mandelson was a good and intriguing part of public life. Who is Liz Truss most like? Margaret Thatcher or John Major? Um... Well, I was going to say Baudissier, um, <laughs> rather than... Uh, 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 she's not like um, John Major, that's for sure. Um, that she's um, making bold and clear decisions. She's getting on with things. Uh, she's very decisive. The comparison with Margaret Thatcher gets overdone. They are very different people, um, but they are both very decisive and forthright and know their own minds, which I think is a thoroughly good thing in a prime minister. She said last night that she wanted to, uh, to the 22 party, uh, the reception some of us went to, that she wants space in the ground by the end of 20, 2023. What does that mean? Does that mean growth by then? When are you expecting growth from the, from the uh, budget last week? No, that means cracking on with projects. I am now Secretary of State for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy. Do you know how many approvals we need to get sizeable C going, each one of which can be subject to judicial review? 140. 140 for one project. How many in France required? Oh, I don't know. Um, it, 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 but France has been much more effective at getting nuclear power stations built. Uh, and it's done enterprising things. And France has been more enterprising than us. I believe if you live near a nuclear power station in France, you get free electricity. And suddenly, lo and behold, people quite like the idea of having a nuclear power station by them, particularly with electricity prices where they currently are. So, how will you get rid of the, all, the, all those? Is that a Brexit question you're putting yourself then into? Some of it's Brexit. We've got the retained EU law bill that's been introduced to Parliament uh, already, and that will provide for uh, the repeal or replacement of retained EU law by the end of 2023. So, really um, important timescale for doing that. And people like me and distinguished commentators in the Telegraph have talked for a long time about how we can free up the economy by getting rid of EU regulation. Now we've got the chance to do it. It's fantastic. We're putting our money where our mouth has been for years. It's what politics is about. It's the delivery on your theories. And we've got to make sure that works and that happens. Is there a single EU regulation you would junk today if you could? Oh, well, it's obviously solvency, Name one. Obviously solvency too. 
Um, Solvency 2 is potentially worth £65 billion to the UK economy. Got to push on with that. We should have done it earlier. And that allows pension funds to invest in roads and bridges. Uh, UK uh, funds. uh, And um, uh, um, insurance companies. It changes the capitalisation of insurance companies, makes insurance companies more competitive, helps start-up insurance companies. It's a really... It's a bad EU regulation that we want to... Um, get rid of as quickly as possible. And when can that happen? It was mentioned last night by, Li- by Liz Truss in the speech. Uh, well, we've got the legislation before Parliament. If we get that through, um, it's gone. We need the um, Prudential Regulation Authority, the PRA, uh, to show a bit of welly and get behind it. So when is the medium term for growth? We know this is coming in the second update to this, to this growth plan an- an announced um, eight days ago. When, how, when is the medium term for, gr- for growth to start happening? Well, you put in place decisions that help growth on a daily basis that that's what ministers have to do and ministers have a wide range of decisions that get made and they must all be pro-growth and um, I'll be talking about that a bit uh, later on in the conference hall within when I'm doing my few minutes Um, uh, but when the date the actual statement that the chancellor will have to tell you that and is growth go growth is two years or 18 months for medium term growth well Governments cannot command growth any more than it can command the tide. Poor old King Canute, who gets a um, bad write-up, he was showing that he couldn't command the tide, not trying to command the tide, as I think you probably all know, and he's been much maligned by history. But governments cannot command and decree growth. We can create the circumstances where businesses and individuals can create growth, and that's by taking um, the state off people's backs. Some of you, though not very many, because this is a collection of young Telegraph readers today, um, will remember the 1979 party political broadcast, which stuck in my mind ever since. And I've tried to find it online, but it doesn't seem to be there, where there was a race going on. And there was the runner with the Union Jack on his front, and he was out in the lead. And then somebody came on and put a weight round his neck. And then another weight round his neck. And then another weight round his neck until he was sort of crawling along. And what we were saying in 1979 is what we're saying now. We've got to take those weights off the neck of British business. This is these lanyards again, isn't it? <laughs> That's why they're so dangerous, because we put weights on your neck to slow you down. What we need is to remove those so that the conditions for business improve. That's what governments can do. It's about the framework that we set, not about telling businesses how they can do their job, because they know better than we do. Going back to the, the climate dinosaur comment, should people, are people rightly worried about you being in charge of helping combat climate change? No, um, because we've got to get intelligent net zero, not um, net zero that goes in a sort of big loop. So, I mean, again, I'm going to be saying all of this later on, but We import steel because we have made our steel production fundamentally uncompetitive by making the cost of energy for our steel companies too expensive. That emits more carbon than us producing our own steel because the steel then has to be transported. This is not intelligent net zero. This is ideological, this is almost religious net zero. I'm not in favour of that. I'm in favour of getting to it in a way that is actually beneficial for our economy and genuinely reduces emissions rather than pretending that because they come from somewhere else in the world they're not emissions. This is nonsense. Um, Take LNG against shale gas. Now I know you want to talk about shale gas. LNG is much more carbon intensive than shale gas. So why don't we use our own gas? The socialists at their conference said they'd stop 
all exploration in the North Sea from 2030. So why do they want not to use our relatively lower carbon source of energy to the benefit of the UK economy, to UK taxpayers, of the advantage of growth? They want to get it in from abroad where it's got to be liquefied and um, deliquefied using lots of energy. This is... The, yep. the, so in your, in your review, review of net, net zero by 2050, is that date set in stone? That won't move that date, will the, it? The 2050 is in law. It's in law. But you could, to get there, you could do things which maybe seems polluting to get there. No, because they're less polluting than what are, what's no. happening already. Okay. I mean, using our own resources is less polluting in terms of carbon dioxide uh, than importing it from abroad. Some people here might think time to bring back coal to deal with the energy crisis. How, where, are you, where are you on coal? There's lots of reserves under, under where, we, where we are now. Um, uh, just a reminder of how we always worry about energy. Gladstone thought we would run out of coal in 1962, which I've always thought is a gloriously precise Gladstonism. Um, uh, we may well use some coal this winter to ensure that um, if there's any uh, um, gas shortage that we have electricity on online, uh, coal is more polluting than gas, so it is more important to concentrate on our gas supplies. But, for, but is, is coal have more of a role in the future? If, I if don't think so. Uh, um, I mean, it may do with carbon capture and yeah. storage, but um, in the immediate future, yeah. no. And onshore wind farms, that's a new idea that's back in the frame for the Tory party? Um, again, with community support. Uh, uh, what does that mean, local gas. referendums? Well, what I think it means, but this is a preliminary discussion, so I'd be very interested in the ideas of, of the audience and Telegraph readers more, more generally. What I think you need to get con uh, local community consent is for the companies to go around door-to-door, -door, as politicians do at elections, and ask people if they will consent in the community that would be affected. And I think people who are disturbed by the building works ought to get um, some compensation for that, and that should be a payment to them. And then you should have a royalty for people... Uh, where the shale gas comes from, which is what they do in America, is why there's such support in America, because if they find shale gas under your house, you get some cash for it. I think that is th those two bits are an important part of it, and then some wider community benefit uh, may also be part of the package. But this is just thinking aloud, discussing uh, with this group what you might do, and then they have to go around to an identifiable community, and if they get 50% plus one in favour, then they should be able to to go ahead. Uh, and look, these early days, early discussions as to how it could be done, I, I don't think local referendums are necessarily the right idea. Um, turnout in local referendums can be very low, so how much real validity would that give you as to, as, as to the consent? So on, on, so on fracking, a similar argument, I suppose, to, to, on, to onshore wind farms. When, when can the first fracking start again? Well, we've got, we are looking at what the right seismic test is. Because 0.5 is ridiculously low. 0.5 was set to stop fracking. So we need to get to a more realistic figure. But I can't... What's, what's your number? I can't prejudge that. I will get expert advice. You know, very clever people. Boffins. Would people. you allow fracking in your back garden in Somerset? Yes, of course I would. I'd be delighted. Would you? I, particularly if I get these royalties. I'd be, oh, no, no. It's all about... <laughs> yes, <laughs> no. um, yes. Of course I and would. And should all these people here think it's okay to allow fracking in their back gardens? Yes, of course they should. Yes. Right, bring it on. Look, if we do what I am suggesting on shale gas, you will be doing a public service by having it in your back garden, but you also get paid for it. So both the country wins and you win. Oh, even better, the environment wins because it's lower carbon emissions than LNG. Bingo. So who doesn't like it? The socialists.
and Caroline Lucas. Well, that makes my heart bleed. <laughs> what would you say to Greta Thunberg if she was sitting there with ladies here? I, I Imagine w- she's Greta Thunberg. I, I would say good afternoon, her kind of would come. <laughs> Which... <laughs> What else would I say? I don't know. You might ask. You might debate the issues you're talking about with her. I don't know. And what, what, what are your tips for keeping warm this winter, Jacob? I'm not. Put a jumper I, on. I'm not. I'm not doing, getting into into that. Um, I, I think ministers <laughs> t- selling people these sorts of things um, <laughs> uh, never go very well. How big is your energy bill at home? I'm not going to tell you that either. <laughs> Briefly, other things. China, friend or foe? We should treat China with the utmost caution. I'm very concerned about the uh, treatment of Cardinal Zen in Hong Kong, um, who has been uh, arrested. Um, He's a 90-year-old cardinal. Um, I'm very concerned about the Holy See's relationship with China and what is going on there, um, and don't understand why, when the church is still being persecuted uh, by the Chinese, the Holy See is continuing its policy of engagement uh, and allowing the Chinese, say, an appointment of bishops. I, I think this is a grave error. And moving away from the from faith, faith issues, you've blocked China from accessing sensitive information about our, our, our own power grid, haven't you? And it's the shades of the Huawei row there. You're concerned about China's involvement in our infrastructure, are you? We've got to be very careful. Uh, yeah, we, we've seen what goes wrong when we trust dictatorships. Um, what was um, Churchill's line about the dictators are riding the tiger and the tiger's getting hungry? Uh, we always have to think very carefully about the dictators and the tigers. So is China like Russia in your eyes? You're, you're likening it to Russia, aren't you, in that comment? Um, China is a dictatorship. It's a communist dictatorship that doesn't allow freedom of speech. It persecutes people uh, for their religious views. Uh, it is antithetical to our broad values. We should treat it with caution. You're, you're the business department. You know, we want to get trade going. We want to find a way to, to maximise and sell Britain abroad. Isn't it therefore time we had a new national flagship to replace the Royal York Britannia, Jacob Rees-Mogg? Oh, when Britain first at heaven's command arose from the azure main, this was the anthem of the land and guardian angels sang this strain. What are you quoting? Um, I should know that. Gilbert Sullivan? Did Sorry. you hear that? I couldn't even hear it. I couldn't even hear it. Can I just check? I am with the Telegraph, <laughs> not with the Guardian Apologies. this afternoon. <laughs> Rule Britannia, sorry, couldn't you? I mean, this is a Bateman cartoon, isn't it? Forgive me, forgive me, the man, the the, the man who, okay. The senior figure (laughs) in the Telegraph who didn't know the words to Rule Britannia, can we all look completely shocked? I do know Um, the words to Rule Britannia. (laughs) Sorry. um, uh, You're in charge. Would it it help support uh, British business? I think it's a glorious distraction, I'm afraid. I, um, It's... It's it's Privately funded. It's too late that... that, it was wonderful whilst it lasted, um, but we, we can... There are lots of things that Tories have a sentimental attachment to that once they've gone, it's impossible to, to bring back. And I think the Royal Yacht is in that category, and we are facing a cost-of-living problem. I just don't think it's in the realms of reality uh, to have a Royal Yacht uh, when you're facing cost-of-living problem. Perhaps in the future. Dare I say I think it's a ship that has sailed. Thank you. Some of you like bad puns. Quick quick ones. Cricket or croquet? What's your favourite? Oh, cricket, of course. Have you had your annual... Very pleased the Eton Harrow match is back. That might be a minority interest. (laughs) Have you had your annual McDonald's, which you always have at the party conference? I haven't, actually. Um, I do often have a McDonald's at the party conference. I always want a good, nutritious um, burger. Um... But I haven't had one. What's this your favourite burger? I have a quarter pounder, but pick out the mark. 
the, the, the sort of ger- gherkin and so did anyone here like gherkin saying oh, they do it's <laughs> a few hands on gherkins and I thought you were a good Tory no no uh, I don't, so you pick out the terrible stuff and then just have it. You know. do, do, you know, do you ever go to Subway, sandwich shop, Subway? No, no. I, I did once and they don't put any butter on the bread. Well, I'm not a fussy man, but I do like a little bit of butter on my bread. Uh, are you writing a memoir? No. If not, what would you call it? If you were, what would you call it? Um, well, as P.G. Woodhouse always pointed out, there's no copyright on titles. Uh, and therefore, I think the thing to do is to name your memoirs uh, by a book that is extremely popular and people are likely to go out and buy, and they just get yours by mistake. So, <laughs> as it's the best-selling book ever, no, that would be blasphemy. Let's go, let, let, let's go for Hamlet or something like that. <laughs> Call it Hamlet. <laughs> what would the 52-year-old Rees-Mogg say to the 20-year-old Rees-Mogg? I'd say, you know, keep going on. Yeah. KKBO. Yeah, that's right. No surrender. I, is Mogmentum dead? Oh, Mogmentum was a glorious and funny... Was that you? you, uh, you was that you behind Mogmentum? No, of course it was. It was organic, wasn't it? It was organic. Some, some splendid fellow had Mogmentum tattooed on him. Again, it reminded me of P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse always advised um, gentlemen never to have a girl's name tattooed on them because if they changed girl, it was always rather awkward. And I'm afraid the same applied with having Mogmentum. He's now got to have Trustmentum tattooed on him. What's your favourite podcast listen to in the bath? Oh, oh, that's easy. Uh, the Napoleonic Quarterly. Now, the Napoleonic Quarterly um, is uh, done by a brilliant man called Alex Stevenson, who was my press secretary when I was leader of the House. And I did some of my own podcasts with him on um, how Parliament works and things like that. And he is doing quarter by quarter the Napoleonic War um, uh, from... Uh, I think 1789 onwards, and it's absolutely gripping uh, listening. I'd strongly recommend people listen to that. Who's, who's winning so far? Well, we win in the end. Okay, so fine. It's always quite fun, isn't it, when you listen to something and you know the result. It'll be all right. <laughs> Cheers, you are. <laughs> Grammar schools, yes or no? Oh, yes. On that note, any question for Jacob Rees Mogg? Camilla Tomley, my colleague from the Telegraph. I was intrigued by what you might have thought of your. ERG comrade Steve Baker apologising to the Irish about some of the Leavers' behaviour during the aftermath of the Brexit vote? Um, Well, I'm a great fan of Steve's, um, who is now a Northern Ireland minister. I I don't know specifically what he's referring to, um, what behaviour he means, so it's difficult to know uh, what apology he is giving. But what I am very strongly in favour of is that we deal with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and I think the legislation before Parliament is the right way to do this. We cannot divide up our country at the say-so of a foreign power, and Northern Ireland is a fundamental part of our country. And that will be done by when? By the end of the, end of the, by the election? End of it's next gone year? through all its common stages. It's with their lordships, so um, I hope their lordships recognise the importance of the unity of the United Kingdom. M- man here in the middle of the row here. With the, wait, wait, wait for the microphone and say, say who you are, please, sir. Um, Jeremy Burnett Ray. I'm retired from the city to the bucolic bliss of Wantage and uh, Didcot. And Wantage. Uh, Wantage and Didcot. Notice the concatenation. Um, the, uh, if we loyally accept uh, government policy, your policy, sir, um, that uh, people really ought to get back to work in offices, uh, would you care to incentivise that with both a carrot and a stick 
and might I have the temerity to suggest that Carrot might be uh, rendering fares and uh, travelling expenses into work tax deductible, and could you suggest a suitable stick which you have not yet applied but might do so? Good question. Huh. Work from home. Yes, uh, I, I think if we want economic growth and productivity growth, we need people to get back to their offices. And that is very important. And uh, if, if you look at um, some public services, um, DVLA is the easiest case to point to. That DVLA, but, well, basically, there was a period when if you were my constituent and you wanted your driving license, you wrote to your MP to get it. And when we got in touch, people got their driving licenses. But that's a pretty inefficient way of getting your driving <laughs> license, isn't it? And they didn't open, as, as I understand it, they didn't open their posts for months. They, 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 they got frankly uppity with me because I said something about how many thousands of um, uh, letters that they hadn't opened. And it turned out that they had opened, but they hadn't read them or something like that. And they wanted me to correct the record in the House of Commons. I, I thought the difference was arguing about the precedence between a gnat and a flea and therefore decided that it was not worth correcting any record because the point was much the same. Um, so I think we do need people back to work. I'm interested in your incentive, but I'm going to have to say rather boringly that that's a matter of the Chancellor. But it is worth bearing in mind that people do get a tax deduction for working from home. Um, and that, that, that's something that... Um, and the stick, it, it the stick, you asked for a stick. Uh, well, well, I mean, th th there is a carrot currently for working from home. Is that a good idea? Again, it's a matter for the Chancellor. And what's the stick to force them back? Are you still doing, leaving your notes on desks, are you in the... Do you know how many notes I left? No. Three. Three. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's very funny because um, people who are um, not entirely sympathetic to one's view of the world um, big up a story that makes it look as if you've been issuing thousands of these things. So it was the unions who made my three notes have much more effect uh, than the three on their own would ever have done. So I'm very grateful. Did they work? Was there a response to them? No, I think they had some modest effect. Um, and we made some effort to get people to come back to work. Though I did keep a list of all the excuses that were come up with. I oh, mean, go you know, on. Give us well, a few. Oh, well, um, f first of all, there was an outbreak of COVID. Um, then uh, it was um, half term. Then it was going to be Easter. Then it was a bank holiday. Then it was another bank. Uh, then no, then um, I think you got a rail strike. And then you got uh, the Queen's Silver Jubilee bank holiday. And then... On and on. Every week there was some reason why people couldn't, couldn't did go Did you really back. line up absenteeism with, with, with the sun coming out? No, I didn't. That was a story. No, that was just, that was just a bit of idle gossip. Okay, um, fine. Next question. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, um, there, there, please, sir. Hi there. Max Sugarman from the Catapult Network. The government's got a target for 2.4% R&D spending from, as a percentage of the economy. And... How do we get there? What do we need to do to, to make sure that we can uh, be achieving that? Um, it's very important because our economic growth is going to become as a high-value-added economy, and that means proper R&D. Uh, I think there are a number of things to do. I'm very excited about ARIA because what we really want to do is make it private capital that's coming in. And if we can get the venture capital system to work properly, and ARIA is a big step in that direction, then we could potentially unlock a flood of private sector capital and ties in with solvency too because that allows um, more esoteric investments to be taken on board. Now, when I say more esoteric, I choose my words carefully because they're not necessarily higher risk. We've suddenly discovered that the highest risk investments pension funds were taking was investing on derivatives on bonds, which they thought was low risk. It is much lower risk to invest in a portfolio of venture capital opportunities than it is to invest in 
what LTCM was doing all those years ago. So um, unlocking private capital, making the regulations right for that, a little bit of government seed capital, and that, I hope, is the way we get to more R&D expenditure. Um, in addition, fully offsettable against corporation tax for up to a million pounds means almost every company, small company in the country, now has it fully deductible. Okay. Madam. Hi, um, I'm Isabel Clifford from the Environmental Services Association. I wanted to ask, in light of the energy crisis, uh, I wanted to hear more about what you'll do as our new Bayes Secretary about promoting um, energy from waste power plants, considering they can help diversity our, diversify our energy mix, as well as, and more importantly, uh, provide low-carbon heating to homes and businesses. Yes, um, I mean, I haven't done anything about it in the first few weeks, but I have um, inquired about it because I discovered we're exporting our waste to Denmark to burn it in Denmark. Now, again, I don't see the point of that. Why don't we burn it ourselves and generate our own energy? And it adds to a fuel source that can be used efficiently. So it's something I'm very interested in. If you have specific information you would like to pass through to me, um, please do or catch my special advisor who is lurking at the back. The lady at the back there with the, with the, uh, with the blonde hair. Hi, thanks. I'm Juliette Phillips. I'm from E3G, which is an independent climate and energy think tank. Um, thanks for the um, presentation today. You said at the beginning that there's no need to do lots of inquiries and reviews before we can get cracking on important things. Um, and there's questions around the, the net zero review, and we already have lots of strategies in this area, like the heat and building strategy, the net zero strategy, etc. Um, we work with a lot of companies in this space who do want to invest and see that green growth. Um, but they need that long-term certainty. And I think there's some worry that that could be a risk at the moment. Um, and it's going to be absolutely fundamental to see that growth. Um, I just wondered if we're beginning to get stronger commitments um, from the government that they will stay on track and get cracking with what's already been set out. Thanks. Yes, I, I hope I can set any concerns to rest. That <coughs> We have very extensive plans, um, which we're continuing with, um, for expanding hydrogen, for... Um, speeding up uh, offshore wind for making it easier for onshore wind for carbon capture and storage all economies at all times in history have been dependent on cheap energy we need to make sure that this transition provides cheap energy otherwise we will simply lose out to other countries and we will be both cold and poor and that is not in my interest or in your interest so we want to carry on with the investment with the technological development um, we've made an announcement in, uh, about fusion over the last couple of days Fusion is something of philosopher's stone, so one has to treat it with caution. It's been 10 years away for a very long time, but it does seem as if real breakthroughs are being made. But cheap, secure, clean supplies of energy must be government policy, but they've got to be all of those things. They've got to be secure as well as green. They've got to be cheap as well as green. Otherwise, we will simply fall behind as an economy. Man at the front. Uh, Good afternoon, Mr. Rees-Mogg. My name is Aubrey Allegretti. I'm from The Guardian. Um, I understand, obviously, that the U-turn this morning is a, a sort of effort to try and pull the party together and bring the country with you, but there are still some in your party that aren't very happy. Ben Houchin, the Conservative Mayor of Tees Valley, has called for the bankers' bonuses cap being lifted to be reversed, not because of the economic arguments, but because of the concerns about the optics politically. And Mel Stride, Chair of the Treasury Select Committee, says that it may be that there will be even yet further requirements to unwind some of those tax cuts. The main economic issues haven't gone away a point which is also echoed by Paul Johnson at the IFS, who says that despite the U-turn on the top rate of tax, 95% of the tax cuts remain in place and the problems of fiscal sustainability remain. What's your response to them? Well, what else should go from that budget? 
The Conservative Party is a party of individuals. We're not, um, like the Socialists, a party that puts the collective first. And therefore, we always have Conservative MPs expressing different opinions. I mean, as I was joking earlier, I used to be considerably busier on the fringe at party conferences <laughs> than Michael Gove is this week. And that's because I believe and am interested in debate and ideas and recognising that government does not have a monopoly on all human wisdom. What a gloomy thought that would be if government did have a monopoly will, will on all human wisdom. Will anything else here change? Um, or will nothing change? Um, the policy has been set out. It is absolutely clear, as I was saying earlier, that the and, uh, as you quoted, the main parts of it are intact. This is really important. We have to have a fundamental change because what was doing before we were doing before wasn't working. wasn't leading to economic growth. It was leading to stagnation. Now, just continuing with the same thing when it doesn't work is not wise. Do Tory MPs have lots of views? Yes, of course they do. That's extremely welcome. Um, and the IFS does what the IFS does, um, and that's its job. Okay, man at the back there with a big beard. Hello there, uh, Ellis Holden, University of York Conservative Society. Uh, just wondering, harkening back to what you said about uh, Greta Thunberg and thinking about young people, uh, considering she is very much leading the front with being almost like an icon for the, what young people's views are nowadays, uh, do you think that there is, a, a, I guess, any really good... Uh, people that very m- on the right who are young that you've seen that can very much rival this image that Greta Thunberg and others like her portray in the media. Yeah, who's a Tory Greta Thunberg? Um, when I was young, and such a time did once exist, so I didn't much approve of it at the time. Um, I hated it when people said the young think this and the young think that, because I don't think the young are any more a collective than any other age group. And I think the great virtue of conservative ideas and conservative principles is that they are intergenerational and they are connected between the generations and that we don't look at the electorate as a series of interest groups to whom we have to appeal. We look at it as a unity based on individuals and that we prioritize the individual. That is the base of where our views and our thoughts come from. So I'm, I'm always quite suspicious of saying the young think this and therefore we must appeal to the young in that way we must appeal to everybody by emphasizing the ideals of conservatism which are based on a powerful individual in a weak state uh, Kate McCann from Talk TV Thank you Chris uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg Nadine Dorries has said today that because Liz Truss wants to change the direction of the government so much that there should be a general election now that's a view that you yourself espoused before Boris Johnson was ousted. You said if there is a new Prime Minister, there needs to be an election. Do you still hold that view? Well, what I said, um, and Nadine is wonderful. <laughs> I, I used to um, sit next to Nadine in uh, the Cabinet, and we had a very jolly time um, agreeing on almost everything. Uh, she wasn't so keen on my uh, idea we should get people back to work, but other than that, we got on like a house on fire. She's absolutely brilliant and such a good, strong Conservative and supporter uh, of, of Boris Johnson. Um, what I said was that I thought the Constitution was evolving. I actually, this is so boring because I'm quoting myself from 2011. Um, I said in a speech in the House of Commons in 2011 that I thought the Fixed Term Parliament Act was a mistake because the evolution of the Constitution was that a new leader required a new mandate. And I think that was the way the Constitution was evolving. I think the Fixed Term Parliament Act um, changed that. And the question is, are we getting back onto that track? 
I think in the long term, yes, we are, but we haven't got there yet. Um, and therefore, I don't think there is going to be an immediate election and I don't think there is a requirement for one. But I think that is the long-term constitutional uh, evolution because the mandate has become increasingly personal, I think. I think that Boris Johnson had a more personal mandate than the Conservative Party uh, had. I think Tony Blair clearly had a personal uh, mandate. Actually, I think David Cameron had a personal mandate as much as anything, even with the, with the coalition. Um, and that has made our system more presidential. Now, that doesn't stop it being a constitutional monarchy, but there is an element of a presidential style within our, our prime minister, um, but that we haven't got there yet. There is no constitutional requirement for um, a, a, a new election, and perhaps we should discuss this again at future party conferences to see whether I'm right about the way I think the constitution will ultimately evolve, but that might not be for some time to come. So, so when is the election going to be? Well, the deadline is, I believe, January 2025. So it might go, might go long. There's nothing like a good winter election, is there? Didn't you all enjoy it? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you're the ones who delivered all the leaflets for us uh, in the dark um, and in the rain. Um, I singing bet, carols. I bet you're all singing carols. Were yeah. you singing carols? You went round. Some, some nodding. That seems to be. Um, so you wouldn't have been singing Royal Britannia because you don't know the rule words. If you go round. Final um, question, please. Hi, Nick Simon from Nottingham. Should we leave the European Convention on Human Rights, and if so, when? Right. One, one word answer on that one. I, I'm not going to give a one word answer. The answer is no, because the political reality is there's no mandate for it in Parliament. We would not get a withdrawal through the House of Commons, let alone the House of Lords. Uh, and as we've discovered over the last week, there's no point on taking on political battles that ultimately uh, you're not going to be able to stick to. So, I, I mean, I have my reservations about the convention, but I think pulling out of it would not work. I think amending domestic law, um, which we have proposals for, is a sensible thing to do. Well, Jacob Smog, thank you for joining us this week on Chobos Baldi. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be back this time tomorrow for another Shovel's Politics podcast, this time in conversation with the new Home Secretary, Suella Braveman. Thanks to my guests today, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and of course, thank you to you for coming along, for listening at home, and to watching and tuning in. If you want to watch it all again, it's on the Telegraph YouTube channel when my heckles will be there for everyone to laugh at and watch again. You can listen again by searching for Chopper Politics Podcast wherever you normally listen to your podcast. And for all the best analysis from this conference, as well as the best backstage gossip, please buy a copy or pick up your free one here of the Daily Telegraph or go to telegraph.co.uk. You won't regret it. Until next time, tomorrow, cheerio! <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Very nice Thank to you. see you. Will you post for a photo with your mug? Yeah, of course I will. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.